Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Ajar Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. This is the, the biggest thing for us. That's really our focus this week is um, being on our details and being able to execute. So, uh, you know, whatever we need to do from, from our part as coaches to, to be able to help them, you know, get to, that, get to that area is something that we're really focusing on. Well, that's uh, Daryl Bevel. Obviously, they got to get in the end zone. I mean, if you look up nine games, really, there are a lot of stats that kind of tell the story. I'll give you one. We looked this up today. Third down conversion rate for the Jags. 31% the first six games of the year. That stinks. You know what it was the last three games? I don't. It got worse. Yeah, that's 29%. Yeah, it's a low I mean, They're under 30% on third down conversion rates. And I'm going to tell you, I'm probably wrong here because it just doesn't make sense that I'd be right. It just doesn't feel like they're in third and eight all the time. Like, I feel like they're not converting third and two, third and three, third and four, which are not necessarily running downs, but they are very manageable. Like, that is where you want to be in the NFL. Like, you want to get to... The, the way they run their offenses and design plays, they would like to be third and two and third and three. They think if they can pick up four yards, three yards, and four yards, boom, first down. Like, that's how it's scripted to be. I do so, agree with you that it feels like the gains always come on second down. Never first, never third. Yeah, and I think I, I noticed that. And I don't really know what – I didn't want to put this out there too much because I don't know what it says. <laughs> Maybe it says first and second down have been worse. But they actually have – over the last three games, I think they've had 42 third-down conversions. So what's that, 14 a game? In the early part of the year, like these first six games, they were averaging more like 11. So I don't know what that means. Are they getting the ball back more so they have more op- more possessions because their defense is playing better? Um, well, definitely. Are they driving Buffalo. it a little bit, or are they just not doing well on first and second down, so therefore the big chunk plays from first and second down, they're getting to third down more? I don't know exactly what it says, but I thought it was interesting that they're probably averaging three more third-down attempts a game over the last three than they did in the previous six games. Uh, So just some of the numbers as we deep-dive what's going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars offense. Brent Martineau here at String Sports Brewery in Springfield. We do this every Thursday. Come on out each and every Thursday. Beautiful day. Uh, It's going to be a nice night. We'll take you up until 6 o'clock. We have Jaguars All Access presented by Fields Auto Group coming up on Fox 30 at 7 o'clock. And uh, Casey and Brian Middleton have Action Sports Jacks Overtime until 6.30 here on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau here, Casey back there, and now Action Sports Jacks Stuart Weber is back in the studio. Thanks for popping up, Stuart Weber. Yes, happy to. Happy to come uh, swing by and talk a little sports. On hey, Weber, you're like a big, you're big like uh, SAT guy, uh, good in the math and stuff. And so like, I have my own bureau, like Brent Sports Bureau. Like that's where I do all of my research. And um, I just feel like maybe we should be kind of team up and do, have a little bit more of an analytics department when it comes to these kind of statistics. I mean, we could. Uh, I haven't had to use any of those math skills for like 15 years since I've been in the journalism industry or the yeah. back-timing shows. But, yeah, but no. Steph's a math teacher. She can help yeah. us out if we get stuck. I'm game. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's crunch some numbers. Yeah, I like the numbers. See, I, I were a big fan of the stats and the numbers and looking into some of the numbers. Uh, we did it with the running game again today. 
uh, and and really we're doing this for countdown to kickoff uh, coming up this weekend, so you'll you'll see it in uh, graphics form. But what we broke down is the Jaguars in the first six games were averaging 122 yards about per game. Their yards per carry was 5.2. Uh, most of that James Robinson, of course. And in the last three games, they're averaging about 93 yards, I think it is a game, or maybe 91.3. And uh, they are averaging 3.97 yards per carry. Now, when I say that, I want some uh, advice from you guys. Should I have... Um, I took out the Agnew run in those numbers. Should I have or should I leave it in? I saw that you took it out. Um, I, I get that it, it certainly skews the average, but it was part of their rushing attack. So from a statistics standpoint, I, I would kind of say it should be left in there. Although to, to make your point, you should have taken it out. But that's kind of the way statistics work, isn't it? Uh, where yeah, you can spin statistics, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and here's, here's why I brought this up, because I'm hoping like uh, the Jags and Urban Meyer and everybody else look at that. And because I don't want – the reason why I took it out is because, one, that play had not happened in the first six weeks. So it's not like, hey, every three weeks they get a 66-yard run for a touchdown by Jamal Agnew. You know what I mean? So it's not, it's not a normal play. It's not normally part of their offense. So it's a little bit of an outlier. And the other reason I took it out is I think it gives – if you don't take that away, it gives you like this false sense of, hey, we're running the ball pretty well. No, you're not. You know, you're not. Like, on however many carries uh, that I added up, I think it was like around 65 or 70 of them over the last three weeks, they're averaging 3.97 yards per carry. If you put the 66-yard run in, they're averaging like 4.85 yards per carry. It goes up a yard off one play. Like, I think you're fooling yourself then if you throw that play in, much like... I still don't believe that they played unbelievable football in the second half against the Seattle Seahawks. I think you're fooling yourself if you think that. Yeah, you played better, but the Seahawks didn't try. They, they, they hardly put their foot on the gas. And so you have to acknowledge those things, I think, if you're going to really deep dive into the numbers. You can be in denial about it, but then you don't fix it. And so that's why I took the Agnew number out, although I get the point of, hey, man, it's part of it, right? Uh, but... I'll even give you something else, guys. If you look at the numbers last week against the Colts, just, again, what, what, why do we look at the rushing stats? We're looking at the rushing stats because, well, James Robinson's been out of the game. Like, what kind of impact does he make? James Robinson makes the offense go. I think he's proven that. I think the Jags have proven that over the last three weeks when they really can't fire on offense without him being a constant part of their offense. Play action works off James Robinson. Well, 179 yards of offense, I think it was last week, on, uh, I want to say, 27 carries uh, from uh, the rushing game. So 27 carries, I think it was, uh, for 179 yards. The 66-yard run by Agnew, that's one carry, and four carries for 32 yards from Trevor Lawrence. So 98 out of the 179 came from people that aren't called running backs. You know what I mean? Like, that's not how you operate your offense. Like, so when they hand it to the running back, 25 times they ran for, like, quick do the math, like 81 yards. You get what I'm saying? 
I get what you're saying, and I feel like this is why numbers can only take you so far in analyzing sports. So much of it is the eye test and is watching it with your own eyes and seeing how it looks in person uh, as opposed to just, you know, taking zeros and ones and saying, well, these numbers show that this team is much better at this, this, or the other thing. I mean, look at Buffalo when uh, we played them a few weeks ago. Austin was really loving those those numbers. Well, how'd that, how'd that work out? Yeah, um... I, I maybe I should next time classify the group when they turn and hand the ball off to the Tra guy in the tradi backfield. Traditional handoffs, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Traditional <laughs> running back handoffs. But that's the thing about the NFL right now is that you, you're incorporating so much of these different ways to get the ball into your playmaker's hands because of you know how good these defenses are at scheming against your running game. I mean, you have to be a little creative. You have to be a little smarter than the other guy at times and, and find a way to get your guy the ball, like Agnew. I mean, I feel like that's such an awesome play for them to use because it's literally doing what he's good at. You give him the ball in the backfield, he sees his lanes like he was returning a kickoff. So he's able to utilize the skills that he has that you can capitalize on and put him into action in the game. Yeah, and, and by the way, it should be a part of their offense. Like, yeah. I agree with you. I, I think getting Agnew the ball, putting him in motion, giving him a jet sweep, even if it's uh, 12 yards, even if it's maybe just a three-yard play, keeping defenses honest, running that play with a bunch of different looks where you don't give it to him on a play, and then you option pitch the other way to James Robinson, perhaps, or Which, by whatever the way, it might be. This is a preview of the future. I mean, this is a preview of the 2022 season when you can try to imagine them using Travis Etienne in this kind of spot. Absolutely. So I love the creativity of that. I think they actually should use more of that. And Agnew right now is a threat that defenses have to keep their eye on. So I agree with the fact that, hey, it is part of the offense and part of what the Jags are capable of doing. And so you need to factor it in. Um, and same with LaVisca Chenault, some of the things they can do there. And maybe even uh, Tavon Austin, although they really haven't used him in that role uh, very much. But uh, I just think you have to also be honest when you're looking at Listen, that's why these teams have analytic departments. But hopefully they're looking at that. Like, I said this. I, I, mean, I think I told you. I said this yesterday on the show. You know, everybody's talking about the 18 drops. But if that stat is correct from CBS a couple weeks ago, and this was a couple weeks ago, so you probably add to it, of the 18 drops, there's probably 12 or 13 on third down. Like, that is unbelievable in terms of stymieing your offense. Like, all those plays, well, maybe not all, but maybe 10 out of the 13 are first downs. Like, that is, that changes even that part of the narrative, in my opinion. So, again, teams have analytic departments. Hopefully, they're deep diving on these numbers and figuring out where their problem spots are. I mean, that's why you have 50 people on the staff <laughs> to do that and then try to fi fix it and uh, know what you're good at, know what you're bad at, and all those things. So, um so do we need 50 people in our stat staff as well, or has that worked? No, we don't. We just have you and I right okay. now. Um, and I give a little credit to Olivia for digging up some of the numbers. But I, I think the number part is fascinating. And they don't always add up. But I do think here's, a, here's there's two major storylines right now about the Jags, I think, that do add up. Uh, offensively, they're at like 31 to 30%, something like that, on third down conversions. That's a major problem. Uh, defensively, they have four turnovers all year, which if it's not worse in the league, I haven't looked it up lately, it's got to be one of the worst in the league. And that's a problem. So if you look at those two things, clear as day, simplistic stats, those are very good reasons why the Jags are 2-7. and seven. Um, And those don't lie. And those you don't have to take things out and spin them. There's no spin there. 
that's just uh, says it how it is. All right, uh, I want to get your thoughts on some high school football in just a moment because of big news at Mandarin today. Uh, but let's get to Steven. He's been on the line a bit uh, here in the last hour, and uh, we'll get him in Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. What's happening, man? Hey, not too much, Grant. How are you today? Very good. Well, whenever you get a chance to talk to Austin, tell him I wish him luck on uh, Sunday. Uh, I'll do it. But anyway, be uh, I'll, I'll, if I can get near the TV. Uh, but um, my question is, uh, and I know we probably haven't heard uh, confirmation yet, but getting Linder and O'Shaughnessy back, do you think that could play a part for Sunday? Because, I mean, Trevor gets a, another secondary blanket cushion instead of Dan Arnold, and maybe you can open up Dan Arnold a little more out wide uh, and hopefully – they do what they say and put LaVisca strictly in the slot for short routes, like short slants, little crosses, because his bread and butter, we all know, is just if he if he catches the ball, it's uh, just he's a bust once he gets going. And I hope they can do that for this Sunday and maybe open it up a, with some short passes to get Trevor going and get this offense in a rhythm. Yeah, good question, Stephen. I appreciate the call. Uh, thanks, uh, 904-362-9901 here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. And by the way, I appreciate you bringing up the injury report. I never did get to it. Uh, Rayshon Jenkins uh, was sick yesterday, practiced in full today. Logan Cook limited uh, with a knee. Carlos Hyde with a shoulder limited. James Robinson, the heel and knee that we talked a lot about yesterday. We told you about really on Monday. Uh, limited, uh, but he did practice. Dakota Allen, shoulder limited. Miles Jack hasn't practiced the last two Wednesdays and Thursdays now, but still, it feels like he'll go in the game uh, for sure. Malcolm Brown, rest day. Uh, Jordan Smith really hasn't even got on the field. He's got an illness. So you got to wonder, too, keep an eye on the illness stuff. It's not COVID, I don't think. Uh, we would know about that. I think it's more, uh, there's a lot of flu going around, you know, all over the place. It's that time of year. And so you, you hope that doesn't hit uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars locker room but to answer the question about O'Shaughnessy and uh, Linder real quick I think they both can really help you here's what you have to be very careful of uh, if you're a Jags uh, player coach or if you're a fan I don't trust guys that are coming off six-week injuries to help right away I think it will take a little bit and so much so that they might not be ready to play. Like, they might not want to play him because of that or play them as much. Uh, Linder would be probably a different story. He's such a veteran, and he plays that position where you're most likely not going to come out. O'Shaughnessy, he might just not get as many snaps, and they might get him back into a groove. Now, again, he's a veteran guy. So maybe they do, but I just don't want – I wouldn't give myself a false sense of confidence that, oh, yeah, well, Linder's back in. Now watch this. Uh, O'Shaughnessy's back in. Now watch this. But it's nice to get him back. Uh, certainly nice to get him back. And, and as, I think Tyler Shatley plays pretty good football for this team. That's what I was about and to chime in with as well. Is he he the fact does. That we, don't, we don't hear his name very often as the reason something's going wrong on that offensive line. No, but Linder's better, correct? Right? Yes. I mean, we know that. We it know that for up. a fact. Yeah. And what's interesting to Steven's point is O'Shaughnessy is a pass-catching tight end for the most part. With him and Arnold in the game, we haven't seen. So... Maybe there are some new things and wrinkles on offense, two security blankets that now the Jaguars can run because it's pretty clear Manhurts is not going to be part of the passing game, uh, and neither is Luke Farrell. So uh, getting O'Shaughnessy back in there yeah, might, might make a little bit of a difference. I just don't know if I'd watch it for this week as much as maybe next week. And as much as I do like Tyler Shatley, the idea that they had Cam Robinson out for a bit, then they had Shatley out, and now they've had Can out for a while, 
I do think the offensive line has been leaky in the last few weeks. It was better in the first five or six weeks of the season before they encountered three injuries they had to deal with. And now, slowly, obviously, Cam Robinson's back. Walker Little didn't play all that bad. Now you get Linder back in. You're not going to replace Cam, but now Barch is in a little bit of a groove. I think that does bode well for their offensive line, too, to get Linder back in. Keep in mind, with the young QB, Linder makes a lot of the calls. Yeah. Uh, and, again, Shatley's good, but Linder is really good. And so that could make a big difference. Uh, good question, Stephen. And I feel like we Talk hear this all the time, back. by the way, with that offensive line and, and why it's so important to note that it's not one guy being knocked out but three when you talk about that continuity thing five guys on the line the more they work together the the better they're going to be so you, you keep losing these different parts it adds up pretty quickly as as we've kind of seen with with those different guys coming in now if you lose one it's, it's the different story than having three gone at one time yeah and i'm a big believer in that i watch that up close Stuart. like when we when i covered the giants back when they went on that run and if you go back and look at that first super bowl title their offensive line, I want to say, had played together then for three or four years in a row, essentially. And they started out not so great for Eli Manning uh, because they were all new and young. And, well, then before you knew it, they had like 50 starts together. And then they were winning Super Bowls. And so I do think the offensive line continuity is important. I think the Jags feel like that, too. And I think that's why Warhop stayed around as the coach. I think they thought continuity would be good all across the board on that offensive line. Uh, so that was one of the coaches that stayed, and I think that's one of the reasons. That's just my guess, but I think that's why, uh, because a lot of people would question why he did stay, but I think continuity is so important to that offensive line. You had those guys playing together for a third year in a row that keeping Warhop around and continued voice of what they've been teaching, I, thought, I think Urban Meyer even saw some value in that. So uh, continuity is king. All right, Stuart Weber with us here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Hey, big news in the high school ranks, and let's spend a couple minutes on high school. Uh, Bobby Ramsey, former Uli coach, Coach Derek Henry, Mandarin State Championship coach, is out. They're not bringing him back uh, for 2022. And by the way, this is not Bobby Ramsey's doing. This is the school that sent a note to parents and saying, we're moving in a different direction. And uh, obviously things got sour there uh, for Bobby Ramsey and Mandarin. And kind of big news and a little bit surprising news uh, because he's a good coach. Yeah, surprising is a very good word for it. Uh, caught me off guard when, when you sent that text over to us saying, hey, Bobby Ramsey's not coming back to Mandarin. And it feels that way because obviously, yes, they won the state title a few years ago, uh, 2018. His second year at the school, they go and win a state championship. Generally, you would think in high school football, winning a state championship is probably going to last you a while, you know, as far as job security goes and, and being able to lead the program. But it's, it's, it's always been more than that with Coach Ramsey. It's more than the on-the-field results. As we know in high school sports, it's so much about affecting the young men that you have on your roster and the players that, you know, are playing for you and playing uh, for your squad. So it, it was definitely a surprise. Yes, the the end of the year record the last couple of years hasn't been great four and six five and five but one of the things with those teams is that you would always see them improve from day one to you know the last day to the last day of the season as that season went along that's that's always kind of been the mo for the mandarin mustangs these past few years is just uh, a team that develops over the course of the year and when you're playing the best teams in the area and playing in an 8A district, yeah, you're going to take some lumps when it comes to the win-loss record. 
I mean, look at Bartram Trail, who loses games in 8A because that's what 8A football is. I mean, shoot, the, the year Mandarin goes and wins a state championship, they had a, a few losses on on their record on the way to that, and then they picked it up towards the end of the year and made a big run, obviously with Carson Beck uh, finding his stride as the starting quarterback there for that team. But the the point being, it's not about the wins and losses. So I just I just hope that it's not being looked at that way, looking, you know, from whoever's making these decisions, seeing, okay, well, four and six, five and five, that's not good. We can do better. Look, we won a state championship. Well, you won a state championship because of the coaching and because of the players. And so much in high school football is cyclical when it comes to players, which is why you keep the same head coach and allow him to kind of ride with those cycles of high school football. So it, it, it is certainly a surprise to me to see that move made. I don't think uh, it is because of the wins and losses. I really I don't. Now, yeah. I also don't think there's anything from a legal standpoint at, that I can find or anything like that happening, which we've seen. Uh, it also isn't Bobby Ramsey's going to, like, coach in Georgia. Right. You know, that he's not leaving on his own. Not yet. Uh, he might be. Here's the letter. He might go to Georgia. Uh, he, he might. Yeah, he might. Which uh, we always say that, to, by the way, because it's so smart to go to Georgia where they're properly compensated, uh, the high school coaches. Yes, uh, in a big-time way, uh, much more than the state of Florida. Uh, the Here's a letter to the Mandarin football family, meaning parents and everything else. And in part, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But uh, it says, uh, shh, let's see. Uh, as athletic director, is from athletic director, of course, it's incumbent on me to surround your students with a coaching staff that helps them realize their unlimited potential, supports them in achievement during the school years, and positions them for long-term success in all aspects of adult life. Uh, earlier today, we informed Mr. Ramsey, I write this note to inform you, we will seek a new head coach to lead our Mustangs football program uh, for 2022. They appreciated and thanked uh, Ramsey for everything that he did. And, um, you know, it went on to say kind of some similar things. Here's what we're hearing is that some of the parents and players, especially parents, took uh, offense to some of the things or the tone of the way uh, Coach Ramsey said things after a loss on, a, on an occasion or two and didn't like it, and I don't know what that was. Like, we have no idea exactly the, the tone and what was said. Um, but they didn't like that, and that's when things started to buzz and the noise started to build and the complaints started to come. Uh, so it looks like uh, what happens a lot in high school sports. So listen, we know Bobby well, and I like Bobby Ramsey, and I don't know everything that happened at Manor. We don't know inside all the programs. There's always a lot of things. There's always two sides to every story. But oftentimes, as we know, in the teaching world and in the coaching world, the high school ranks these days, parents are going to win the day. Kids are going to win the day. Um, and, yeah, the kids should win the day. But sometimes the administration doesn't want to always stand up to the parents, you know. Uh, so I don't know where this falls. I just can tell you that that happens sometimes. And uh, how much is Bobby Ramsey to blame? I'm sure he takes some culpability in this uh, because he's a good football coach. I don't think it has to do with wins and losses. Uh, and, by the way, they have some really young talent that's good. So they are going to be good over the next couple of years if they stay. Now you're talking about a world where everybody leaves, and uh, that could be the case if they did like Bobby Ramsey, uh, whether it's the QB, the wide receiver, the whatever. So uh, it's certainly big news uh, today uh, that Bobby Ramsey, state championship winning coach at the highest level in the state of Florida, a guy that's coached players like Carson Beck and, of course, Derrick Henry, uh, is out and not on his own uh, at uh, Mandarin. So it's a, it's a story we'll continue to follow. 
We'll have it for you tomorrow on the Blitz Scoreboard Show as well at 9 o'clock. Kevin Sullivan will join us and um, talk a little bit more about it. And then we have our final night of the Blitz Scoreboard Show and the Friday Night Blitz, 1030 on Fox 30, 1120 on CBS 47 and Fox 30 tomorrow. And before we get you out of here, and I know we're way late, sorry, Casey, uh, Stuart, uh, what you get your eye on tomorrow, man? Yeah, so uh, playoffs continue. We got round two, 15 local teams still alive in the pursuit of a state championship. At this point, you got to win four more games. So win four games, and you are the state champion. So uh, we mentioned some of the teams that are, you know, competing, some of the top seeds in their region. You look at a team like Baker County, who's got a home game. That's going to be a great environment as they welcome in West Florida. And I like the idea of seeing an, an all-local regional final there between Baker County and Reigns if both of those teams can take care of business at home. You talk about local versus local matchups. We have that in 1A uh, with the Region 3 regional semifinal. Union County, who is undefeated and probably not happy about being a three seed despite being undefeated, well, here's where they can take it out on Hilliard if they think they can. That They got a trip up to Nassau County to take on the Hilliard Red Flashes, and Hilliard had a really good season as well. I mean, they go 9-1 and one with that one loss to Bluntstown in the SSAC bonus game that they kind of added late in the season to to face a team of a fellow high caliber, uh, which was a really cool thing that SSAC did this year, by the way. That's a whole other topic, though. Uh, but yeah, so two small-town communities. What's that? And confusing. Yeah, it's a little confusing that you can be competing for a state championship in the FHSAA, but the final two weeks of your regular season, you were also competing for a different SSAC sort of title, um, which was a little too too off uh, game thing. I don't. It, it is a little confusing, yes, but I liked it. I thought it was a, a cool way to provide a you know a, a worthy opponent and a, a way to schedule out those last couple of weeks of the season, even though you don't know your opponent till. That, that last week of the season so but anyhow yeah two two really you know communities that love their football union county and hilliard that will be our de facto game of the week uh tomorrow on the friday night blitz so can't wait for that one uh but yeah man i'm, I'm curious and, and excited to see how some of our other teams coming off the bye do i mean you talk about trinity christian they they get their playoff run started that remember they won a state title a year ago in 3a this year they're in 2a so do we see them on that crash course collision you know with University Christian in the next round. That's what we expect. But UC's got to go all the way out to the panhandle and get a win over Monroe. So that's a, a tough ask for them. And then you talk about Bowles, who hasn't won a football game in like a month and a half. They lost two in a row. Then they lost games to scheduling because of weather, because of COVID, whatever the reasons may be. I mean, they haven't, they haven't been able to play a game in like three weeks. And the two games before that were losses. So... Uh, I'll be real curious to see how they bounce back. I think they bounce back with a win, but let's see how rusty they are against Gadsden County, who came and beat Jackson a week ago. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be one to watch. Something we're going to talk about. By the way, tomorrow on the show from like 5 to 6, I think we're going to do Committed to the Uncommitted, presented by Baker Sports, and go through all the Committed to the Uncommitted. So we started this year and, and really love the segment and update you on their progress this season and what they're doing and maybe if they have any offers, those kind of things. So uh, that's what we plan to do here on the show. And then we'll recognize another Committed to the Uncommitted tomorrow night on the Blitz Scoreboard Show, again, presented by Baker Sports and UNF Ospreys. Uh, make sure to go to unfospreys.com. So college coaches, make sure you listen because this is, your, this is a, a, an easy way for you to hear about 10 guys you should go yes, give an offer to. Exactly. And... Uh, I've seen some guys decommit from other places. I think it was the one of the Reigns players I saw decommit the other day from UConn. Because of the uh, coaching nonsense up there. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're going to see that this yep. time oh, of year. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where some of them land. And 
Uh, again, the 2022s, they're up against it this year in every sport. And uh, uh, I think that's a segment we're going to keep doing because we've had a lot of fun with it. I think we're on to something here. Uh, so uh, if we're, at least if we're having fun doing it, who cares if we're on to something? Um, but uh, uh, we'll probably do more of them uh, throughout the uh, rest of the year. All right, Weber, we're way up against it now, but uh, we appreciate you coming up for a little bit. You're welcome to stay. But we are going to talk Florida State next, so I don't know if you really want to stay. Yeah, I'm out. I'm going to go get some work done for uh, Jaguars <laughs> All Access, go get our video edited for that show, and get us good to go for later tonight. All right, thanks for stopping up, man. Uh, that's Stuart Weber. And uh, make sure uh, you check us all out on the Friday Night Blitz tomorrow night on the TV side. Weber does all our high school coverage. And we have some new things that we're going to unveil in the month of December uh, in the high school ranks as well. We'll be back from String Sports Brewery here in Springfield on ESPN 690 FSU Report coming up next. Uh, just to start, wow, uh, what a game. Um, so proud of our team, just the coaches. Uh, everybody involved in the program, uh, the work, the investment, um, you know, the responding to adversity, the, the, the way that we work, everything that we do within our program is there to prepare you for a moment like that. And what a moment it was for Mike Norvell. He did beat North Carolina, ranked North Carolina in his first season as head coach, but without a doubt, the biggest win he has as the head coach of Florida State. And that was obviously... Florida State's win over Miami, 31-28 to last Saturday. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Casey Kurtz, Brent Martineau live from String Sports Brewery. But we're going to talk FSU, and that's kind of my thing for some reason, even though I'm not an FSU fan. But this is weird. I have grown to watch every FSU game. I'm invested because I, I guess, cover them, if you will, uh, for this show at least. So we're going to talk some FSU right here, and then we'll get back with Brent after that because we are obviously the home of florida state athletics that is men's basketball that is football that is all of it in jacksonville and we'll start with basketball the fsu report will change into a full-time basketball thing once the season's over but just a little update on what's going on uh they did suffer their first loss of the season to florida last sunday we won't talk about that too much uh two lane was yesterday they went 59 to 54 a lot closer than you would want it to be but at the end of the day they could not shoot the basketball they were 12 from 38 from the field Cameron Fletcher saved him 11 points in 14 minutes, four of five shooting, two of three for three, from three, I should say. So they do win the game. That's what's important. And their next game that they will have will be right here in Jacksonville at the Jacksonville Classic. They will be playing LMU. That'll be at 530 on Sunday. They will likely play again on Monday if they win that game. So right over here at UNF Arena, if you're an FSU fan in the Jacksonville area, Go check that one out, the Jacksonville Classic. That second game likely to be at 8 p.m. as well on Monday. Obviously, you have to win the first one. Let's switch back to football. As I said, 31-28 over Miami. Huge win. FSU goes up 17-0 in the second quarter. 20-7 at the half. They blow the lead. 21 unanswered. Puts Miami up 28-20. If you watched the game or saw the highlights, there was a little mix-up. Uh, midfield going to the fourth quarter. Both teams emptied the benches and uh, had a little conversation right in midfield. And um, it worked for one team. It did not work for the other. FSU got two huge stops in the fourth quarter on defense. They added a field goal with four minutes to play. And Jordan Travis, guy's been incredible. Less than 30 seconds to go. Runs in a game-winning touchdown. Adds two with his legs as well. 31-28. to 28, What a game. As a team, Florida State carried the football 48 times which is what I've been asking them to do all year. Just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. They did that 48 times for 160 and three. So I'd say it worked out. Jermaine Johnson, you may have heard me talk about him every week uh, since I've worked here pretty much. 
not one, not two, three sacks on the season, ten and a half this year. Guy's going crazy. Uh, Boston College is next. Florida after that, he's going to get a few more sacks. you got to trust. Two interceptions for Florida State as well. Uh, overall, just a really good game on both sides of the ball. Obviously, you hate to give up that lead that you had at the half, but at the end of the day, you get it done. Very emotional game. Goes a long way for Mike Norvell. A lot of recruits in attendance when that happened. So good for Mike Norvell. They got Boston College this week. Boston College is an interesting team. They started 4-0. There was a lot of talk on social media. They were saying uh, from their official accounts that we could be your bandwagon team. Uh, that didn't work because then they lost their next four. And then they've won back-to-back -back since. So this is the definition of a streaky team. Even with their six wins, they trail FSU in the ACC standings. So that should pretty much tell you who they did beat in those first four games. Not ACC or really opponents that could even keep up with them. UMass and such. Florida State did get a win with UMass, but still, the idea is that this is a run-first team. Their running back this year, Pat Garwo III, has carried the football 170 times. 170 times for 906 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, they only score about 26 points a game, 26.3 to be exact. So this is not a high-powered offense. They don't throw the ball well, which is an advantage for FSU because Boston College gives up 175.8 yards on the ground per game. Obviously, you know Florida State's going to run the ball right there. That's a win for Florida State before they even start the game. If you run the ball like you did against Miami and like you have in the past couple weeks, you win this game easy. Somehow, with the 175 yards on the ground, they only allow 19.9 points per game, but they don't score a lot of points, so it's it's different. They're not going to outscore you, and they're not really going to keep you down because against good opponents, they have given up points. If FSU can run the ball and they can stop the run, they win this game easy, which is why it's a little more confusing when you look at the spread. I always pull from three different places. Uh, two of those places have FSU plus two, which is interesting. They are on the road. Have to go to Boston College. I get that. Hard Rock has them at plus two and a half, plus 105 money line in all spots. The over-under, 45 and a half, two of the spots, 55 on one. After you saw what they just did to Miami, give me money line. Florida State wins this football game. Are you kidding me? And But if you're, if you're not 100% sure, uh, plus two and a half ain't bad. Two, two and a half. Got that safety blanket, but FSU can win this game. They just have to run the football like they have all season long. Obviously, you can hear that game. Coverage is going to start at 10 a.m., so wake up, pull a Brent Martineau, get some coffee. You know, Brent likes his coffee. Get some breakfast, do what you got to do. And when you drive back into your driveway from getting that coffee, just go ahead and sit in the driveway all day. Cover starts at 10. Kickoff is at noon, couple hours of postgame after FSU and Boston College. That was the Florida State Report. Sponsored by Bono's Pit Barbecue and Willie Jewel's Old School Barbecue. And we got a lot more to do here. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. The, have you heard what Lane Kiffin said? Apparently. That's interesting. We'll get into it. We got more Jags to talk about. We got picks to make for the Mac Jones game. That's what I'm calling it because the Falcons don't matter to me. The, the Mac Jones game. We'll do all of that in the next hour and 15 minutes right here on ESPN 690. Hey, hey. Welcome back to String Sports Brewery, everybody. Brett Martin, along with Casey Kurtz here on a Thursday. Austin Lane has a big fight coming up on uh, Sunday. I was just actually texting back and forth with uh, it's Austin and Scobie and uh, Zach Miller who were trying to get on the show. And it's really interesting as I'm saying this. Like, Scobie is on this. Uh, as I'm texting, I'm realizing all this. These guys all played for the Jags. Yep. Let's just say a decade ago. Uh, they okay. definitely did a decade ago and it was parts of other years. But uh, 
now you fast forward, let's just say 10 years. Austin has a fight on Sunday. Yep. Basically like a UFC kind of fight to get to the UFC, hopefully. Uh, that's after doing radio both in the morning and afternoon. Scobie joins us on the radio show each and every Tuesday, Tuesdays from Top Golf from 5 until 6 p.m. He wasn't there this past week because he's like at Pinehurst playing in a golf tournament, and he's he's not a professional golfer, but he's like a professional celebrity tour golfer. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, if you will. And Zach Miller, who had that really bad leg injury, of course, that uh, ended his career in Chicago, he told me Tuesday he didn't respond to the text because he was in the studio recording uh, because he's now a country music singer. It's incredible. <laughs> Think about that. Isn't that crazy? Like, and, if, yeah. if you weren't doing what you're doing, what would you do? Yeah, I ask myself that a lot, and it's not fighting, country singing, or golfing. I can probably, well, it might be golfing, but not any good. Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of people, like, in that vein would be like, all right, if I wasn't working at a bank, I'd be working at X financial institution. You right, know? yeah. Uh, if... Um, if I'm not if I was working in communications with the Jags, uh, okay, I'd be working in communications with the PGA Tour or a college. You know, if yeah. I were, you know, if I'm in the coaching profession, I'm going to coach at some level in that sport. Um, if I'm a teacher, I'm a teacher, most likely. I mean, it's just wild to me that these guys. I mean, they have, you know, Scobie's a little bit different in the context, but the the paths they've they were on. And the paths they are on were and still are pretty unique. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Know? And by the way, are not relatable at all to the other. No, not even not even slightly. It's almost it, it's funny that you're in a group chat with them because like it I don't want to say it's a movie, but it's kind of a movie just like in your group chat. Like it's so different and the stuff that they're doing. And it's not like any of these things are easy to do. Like, if you fire me, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's not going to be as hard as, like, I don't know, being in the MMA or singing in front of people. You know what I mean? Like, I'll just go do something normal. They're like, I'm going to do something that only a select few can do, and then I'm going to do something that even a selector few can do. So it's just incredible. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty wild uh, to um, see these guys. It, it shows off their talents. Uh, listen, I think part of this is, you know, we did this with Brett Myers in the past, too, and maybe the same is with Zach. I don't know his story as much. Well, listen, if you don't make the kind of money they made playing football, like Zach, I think, did pretty well. Uh, Brett did very well in the big leagues. Then you maybe cannot support yourself trying out this music career. That's true. Right? So, like, if, if I wanted to be a country music star uh, and... I got out of the business to do it. I'm not sure I had the wherewithal, the money, the everything. Like, I can't just dedicate myself to that. I need a job to pay the mortgage and everything else in the meantime. Call. Yeah. You know what I mean? So oh, I yeah. think, it, you know, they do, these guys made some money um, and, and are able to then go on to their next career. Or they have multiple careers, in Austin's case especially, right? I mean, he's fighting and he's working in two different, <laughs> totally different uh, radio formats. Does right everything. Now. So. It's a, uh, it's pretty wild. Like, uh, it, I I love it though, um, and I think that's what makes those guys unique too. Uh, we'll see what we'll see how they do radio together. Hopefully, like on Tuesday. Yeah, hopefully, ideally. My goal is to have them on, um, but we'll have two of them on. I know that. Do we? Do we know? 
Well, I think we'll know. I think we know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I don't know if we know. What do uh, we know we have, at this point? Here's what I know. We have football at 5 coming up. It's a good call. And there's a couple of things I want to get into. There's a pro football talk conversation today that uh, had some people buzzing. And also, rookie head coaches. How are they doing? We, we were going to bring this up yesterday. We didn't get to it, and I wanted to save it because I, I thought it deserved some more time. But Urban Meyer, compared to the rest of the rookie class, if you will, uh, or the new coach class in the NFL, how does everybody stand right now as we're basically halfway through the year? Some have played 10, some have played 9, but we're a little bit more than halfway through the year with a good chunk of the season still to go. Uh, so the story has not been completely written on these first-year head coaches in their positions with their teams. We'll get to that when we come back. Football at 5. We're live at String Sports Brewery here on a Thursday. It's ESPN 690.